This morning I had the pleasure of being at the downtown uh, campus, the first service at nine o'clock and uh, praying and commissioning and it was beautiful, it was lovely in fall, a uh, great atmosphere and a real uh, excellent moment to give thanks to the Lord for all our prayers. So hallelujah for all that has been achieved. And, um, and uh, just the goodness of God in that it was, it was quite remarkable and, and wonderful. This morning we're going to step into our communion service in a short while and we are going to uh, break bread together. But we've been dwelling since um, uh, Jordan spoke about uh, the power of loneliness and our relationship with Christ in culture. Last week I unpacked uh, verses uh, 1 through to 17 uh, about remaining in Christ and having that intimate, close relationship with him. Jesus encouraged us, didn't he? He said to us, I want you to remain in me. What happens when we remain in him? Or something remarkable happens. What takes place is that we bear fruit. And that fruit grows. It is a glorious, wonderful spiritual experience. Yes, Christianity is about doctrine that keeps us on our clear direction. And like never before in today's culture, we need to keep to the dogma, to the doctrine, to the, the fundamentals of what is the Christian faith all about. But then, of course, it is also about ethics, the way that we live, and that guides us. And, but if it's just doctrine and just ethics, then, then what is it about then? Then we're just following a, a script. But actually, it's more than that. It is mysterious. It is glorious. It is about a living, active, personal relationship between you and I with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord comes in that intimacy of remaining in him. And he comes and he does work within you, within your interior, your life. He's working within you. And knowing that we are in conflict in the world. And knowing that we are to be linked with him as, as branches to the vine. And as branches linked to him, God calls us to bear fruit. And of course, we will be pruned. And the pruning pro process, and the same interchangeable words with pruning, is, is cleaning. That we go through a process of cleaning, of being developed, of being pruned, so that we will not be separated from him, so that we live in communion with him, so that we are experiencing that in our lives. And the fruit that comes, well, of course, Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, the glory, self-control, the glorious fruit that grows within the character of a Christian. Uh, it's not about carries charismatic individuals, although that's part of who God makes us perhaps, but if character is king. You can have lots of people with lots of gifting, but their character stinks. And, and what we want is, is that we want people who are transformed by a relationship with Jesus, whereby our character is being changed. It is character that comes and works within that intimate relationship. What are the fruits of it? Well, it says the fruit of that is love, that we love one another. Greater love has no man that he lays down his life for another. Jesus 
showed that love. We love each other, that the very fiber of our being, of who we are, is the love of God that is surging through the sap of the of the branch, the love of God, the intimacy, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus' reliance was utterly on the Father, and our reliance is utterly on communion with Lord Jesus Christ. He is He is the vine. We are the branches, he says. He teaches us this. And of course, as we look into this, we will be breaking communion and we will be thinking that. And there is not lost on many theologians, particularly of perhaps uh, Anglican theologians and Orthodox theologians, that they, 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 get, they also get lost in the passage to do with the grape, to do with, with the, the fruit, to do with the communion. Not only the communion that we have in our prayer life, but the sense of what Jesus Christ achieved on the cross by defeating Satan, sin and death and redeeming humanity. And coming into our lives and making that difference. And one mustn't forget that. At the very heart of this passage, there is the sacrificial act of the Son of God laying down his life for the redemption of humanity, paying the price and dying for us. So having laid that out, we turn our attention to, as Jesus did in his teaching, to verse 18. And as we turn our attention to verse 18, you know, we have this, uh, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will also obey yourselves also. Persona non grata. This is what Jesus is teaching us. That there will be times within church history and times within countries and times within nations where you and I, because of who we follow, will will be excluded. We'll experience conflict. We'll experience... And what the next verses, 18 through to 25, are saying to us is that there is... Persecution is a very real part of the life of the Christian church within the world. And that although we are in an intimate, beautiful prayer, remaining relationship with God, although we are connected to the vine and we have the sap of the Holy Spirit working through us, what is actually teaching us is out of that relationship, when we truly live this way, he moves swiftly from the beautiful imagery of that, now I, sur- I, I sustain you, I support you, but it's going to get tough. It's going to be hard. And in every generation, in every decade, in every century, there has been death and persecution. Whether it was through the Stalin years of, of Russia under the Soviets where Christians were martyred and killed. And family members here remember those days. The displacement, the war, the pain. Because atheism took over that nation of Russia and we saw persecution. Whether it's persecution that has been taking place 
place consistently and still takes place within China and other countries. Today, in other countries like India, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to stand up for Christian values. Around the world, we see the, the, the hand of persecution coming in Iran. The more they drive the nail of persecution into Iran, the more Iranians give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there is a move of God. But Jesus is saying to us, you, if you live in communion with me, you may face opposition. You will face difficulty. You will face the cost of being a disciple. Because when I come and you abide and we are spiritually correct and active in our lives, within culture at times, there is a clash that takes place. There is a fight. There is a battle. And Jesus says, hmm, you see how they hate me? You too will be hated like me. You're not greater than your master. You too may experience hate, rejection. You too may experience council culture where there you are, but suddenly the world turns against you and wants to get rid of you or you find you unacceptable, finds you repugnant even. And as the Apostle Paul says to the world, sometimes we are the smell of perfume, of glory and wonder. But for others, we are the stench of death because of Jesus Christ. He says, you will be um, alienated, persona non grata. You will be that individual. If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hate me first. There's a battle. Why do they hate you, Jesus? Why do they hate you first? And then why do they hate the disciples? Because Jesus has the ability that when the power of Jesus is working through the body of Christ and the church is there, we have that ability, or Jesus does, to unmask culture and show the darkness, the lies, the, the, the evil that can lurk at times in nations and generations. And it unmasked it and they do not like that because the one thing Jesus was very good at was unmasking where there was evil and darkness he showed it his kingdom came to oppose the darkness because he is the kingdom of light and and sometimes as you look at this you're talking about the beautiful abiding in Christ and then instantly you bump up against they're going to hate you because of it you're going to be challenged. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You're a different people. We are like a boat on the water. We're not in the water. We're on the water, but we're still in the world. And we're bobbing around through the storms and the problems and through the decades and through the swirling history that takes place in nations, whether it is the persecution of the Roman Empire, whether it is the relentless attacks of the tribes of the north and the Vikings killing monks and killing Christians for generations, whether it is philosophical ideas that cancel the idea of Christianity and the idea of a personal relationship with God, whether it's philosophies like Marxism and 
and so on that rise up and, and step against and declare that religion is the opium of the people and it should be just absolutely got rid of and that, that being a Christian is kind of a mental condition that needed to be treated because those Christians are crazy because they believe in a living personal relationship with God. Well, let me just tell you, in that case, I am bonkers. Because <laughs> I have met Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't tell you this, but in the Methodist revival, so many people were getting converted that the establishment in London and the mental institutes and asylums actually did a, had a category for mental illness called Methodism. And they would say, what's wrong with him? He's got Methodism. Because he's got religion. <laughs> he's got a personal relationship with God. Because he believes. And actually, that was a thing in the Bethlehem Hospital, if you ever research it and understand it. Methodism. That people can view us as, as unacceptable, Jesus is saying. If you belong to the world and the world love you as its own, as it is, you do not belong to the world. And this is where we battle sometimes because we do not belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. We love the world. We serve the world. We proclaim the good news of the world. We pray for the world. We watch the world. But you and I, Jesus is saying, are citizens of another kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I have our passports, not stamped Canadian, although I do. Not stamped British, although I do. But literally, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I'm an alien. I'm an alien and I feel that sometimes. I feel it and you feel it. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. They will treat you. And if I had not come and spoke to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So we understand the cost. We understand that there is a battle between light and darkness. We understand that the world hated Jesus. And Jesus said, disciples, you too will be hated. Why will we be hated? Because I'm going to unmask culture. I'm going to show the truth about the Roman Empire. I'm going to show the truth about the hypocrisy within the synagogue system and within Judaism where they have lost the true sense of who God is and who Yahweh is. I'm going to mask it and the world's going to hate you. What is he painting a picture of the church or the disciples? Actually, he's painting a picture of an almost like a, and he's using the language, if you look into the language, he's using the language of, of an Old Testament prophet. That an Old Testament prophet was not something you wanted to become because basically at times the Old Testament prophet would tell the nation, you are not living correctly, Jezebel, and I come to you and I declare that you are under the curse of God or I declare this and this is not popular. 
And Jesus is saying, you will feel literally at times like a people in a nation. You will feel so isolated, like a voice crying in the wilderness. And you will feel like a persecuted prophet who feels the pressure to tell people that you're not going the right way. You're following idols. You're following your own desires. You're, you're, you're hurting the poor and the needy. You're not standing up for righteousness. And the prophets would prophesy. And Jesus says, this is who you are by this language. There are times when we have to speak. And there are times when we see. And there's times when we pray. And there are times when we are powerless. But we have to know that, that our prayers are always heard in our country. And our prayers are heard in the Western world. And even though there is so much darkness, we can only believe that there is so much light. That God is working. I was encouraged as I heard about uh, the Netherlands, Holland, which is one of the most liberal countries in Europe with the, uh, the way that, that is has taken place in terms of of choices they've made and decisions that just last week or so, 60,000 Dutch people gathered together to pray and seek the Lord. They were expecting 40,000, but 60,000 turned out because they realized <laughs> this is so dark. This is, we're conflicted. We're abiding in Christ, but this is, there's a conflict. And, 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 and channel your frustrations, channel your anger, channel whatever you have, whatever you're going through for our nation, channel it into a prayer movement, channel it into intercession, channel it into rend the heavens, O Lord, and come down in revival. Do it, because we're going to face, face that battle. I have not come, spoken, and, and in doing that, actually, like a prophet, we make people guilty of their sin. And that's not popular in our culture. Guilty. But by our very existence, at times, this is exactly what happens. Jesus said, I'll show them, I make them feel guilty. And I do wonders amongst them, but they still not to believe, and their guilt is upon them, and they will be judged. Their guilt and you're going, oh, Lord, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on us that they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. There's no excuse. There is guilt. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Hates Yahweh, hates Jehovah, hates God. He's upon us. And if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Remember the healing of the blind boy? And, and the, the religious authorities came, and they accused him, and they did not rejoice because of the, the blindness had gone. They were angry because the healing took place on the Sabbath. And it was Jesus that did this. And they become so blind and so full of themselves 
that they do not see what God is doing and the way that God is moving and working. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt just loathed, hated without reason? And the reason is actually because you are connected to the vine and that you are a branch of the vine and it's become unacceptable to somebody, to something, in some way, that there is conflict, that that there is difficulty. But you think around the world. You see the persecutions, you see the martyrs. You see the more people have been martyred in this last hundred years, they say, than ever before in the history of humanity, which is hard to imagine, isn't it? And that's why we should pray for the persecuted church. That's why we should pray for the church around the world because of this. And this teaching that Jesus is, is echoed. As I looked at this echoed in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 24, in Mark chapter 13, in Luke chapter 6, and and chapter 12, you know, it's echoed throughout Scripture. This particular teaching is reminded again and again that because you abide in Christ, it's going to get tough sometimes. It's going to get hard. But Jesus never stops moving and never stops working you know what did he say in John chapter 17 Jesus says and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am from the world he's this theme is there Christians have passed from death to light John 3, 13, they are not of the world. We are of a different world and so should not expect the world's affections. It's nice when it happens. It's good when we're, it's wonderful. But we shouldn't always expect it. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. The, the cry of the prophet, the cry of the prophet that comes. There was a Kurdish, I was, I was in Vancouver at a small summit for evangelistic pastors and, um, and with an organization called The Message where I've been involved in helping and supporting and uh, planting micro churches in, um, oh, there's one in Prince George there with the MB, they're planting one in an MCC building and gathering uh, people and from all different backgrounds, uh, refugees, and they're, they're planting a small church in that MCC building in there in Edmonton, downtown Hastings, where they're working. And I met this guy, I was like, oh, I really liked him. He's like really, really enthusiastic. So I got on with him. And, and he's like, oh, yeah. And he'd been a missionary in, in Greece for about 10, 15 years. And it administered as all the refugees had started to come and so on. And we were talking. So we were sharing stories and we were saying, what is the most remarkable conversion experience you've ever experienced? He goes, oh, that's easy. He said, um, he said I, uh, I met a Kurdish fighter who ended up in a hospital in somewhere in Iraq. 
and he was, he was bed-bound, and his, his family had gone into northern Turkey, and they had ended up in a community around Christians. And, um, and he was lying in bed and, and in the hospital, but in the building next door, he could hear people singing the name of Jesus. And he'd never heard of the name of Jesus in this way. And he could hear them singing and praising, but he was so mad at times. So when he could walk with his you know, injuries from bombs and guns, he hobbled over to that place where they were singing and banged on the door. And, and they said, you need to go away. What are you banging on this door? This is, this is where the Christians hide. And the Christians Oh, I don't like the Christians. I'm so angry at the Christians. Oh, wow. Said, and he, I want to know who this, who is this Jesus person? Who is he? And, and, and he went back to the hospital. And interesting that that little house church was all arrested after that and taken away because of him banging on the door. He ended up in Greece, angry, hating Christians. And months and weeks, and he kept meeting this, this, this missionary who chatted to him, and he said, you don't like me, I don't like you, I'm a Marxist, I'm a whatever, I don't like you. No. He said, but I have a problem. He said, what's the problem? I keep having a dream, and there's a man who is standing in front of me, shining brightly. Who is this man that I keep seeing shining brightly? And the missionary said, well, I can tell you who he is. His name's Jesus. No, no. And then he got a text of his family. And his wife texted him from northern Turkey and said, uh, take courage, don't be worried. And quoted a, a scripture. Um, be bold, be strong and trust in the Lord. He's like, no, my wife and children have become Christians. This is terrible. He goes to sleep. Jesus appears shining in his sleep. He wakes up. Who is this Jesus? Until one day, he stops, bows his knees and gives his life to Christ. He walks by this missionary friend of mine and the missionary looks at him and whispers because of all the you know, obvious persecution. Of, he says, you found Jesus, haven't you? He goes, shh, shh, yes, I have found Jesus. But I was thinking about that story and we were chatting about it. That, that we were thinking about that little group of Christians at the back of the hospital secretly meeting. They were all rounded up because that guy banged on the door. But they will never know that that guy that banged on the door so angrily, a number of years later, met Jesus Christ personally himself. And I said, I, you know, I hear this all the time. I have a friend who was out in the Middle East and he used to put on Facebook, if you've had a dream about somebody called Jesus, I'll meet you for coffee. And he spent all his time just meeting people, Muslims, who have had dreams about a man. He said, what's your most biggest story? 
See, one of my favorite stories is when I was traveling, backpacking through Africa, and I ended up in Zimbabwe, and I ended up at a little Pentecostal church, and, there, and the, the lead elder was there, and I became good friends with him, and I said to him, how did you he said, become a Christian? He said, I was a devout Muslim. And he said, one day I was there in the evening playing cards and doing what I shouldn't have been doing, drinking and smoking. And I started to cough and I coughed and coughed and coughed and I fell on the ground and I was choking because I got uh, something stuck in my throat and I was, uh, I just passed out and I left and they thought I was dead. And he said, suddenly there I am standing and there's a man standing in front of me who I didn't recognize and I said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jesus. Now go back and serve me for the rest of my life, your life. And he said, I woke up and they got me round. I, I didn't know who this Jesus was. I had to go and find out everything about him. And I met Jesus, became a Christian, and now I lead this little church. I love that. And I was like... It never gets too bad for Jesus to do his own evangelism. <laughs> so no matter what happens, we need to pray that Jesus turns up, the great evangelist, that there is conflict, that there is difficulty, that we don't forget this. And in our time of, of freedom now, where we can speak and preach and share and reach out, we mustn't forget that God is continually working around the world and that there is conflict, there is battle, but we are that prophetic voice in the wilderness. Even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. And of course, Stephen experienced this. And of course, James himself, it was about the time of that King Herod was arrested who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. But what happened next is the prison escaped. Peter and he's worshipping and the, the gates open up and God does a miracle. And I find it fascinating that Peter, uh, James ends up going back to the Lord and Peter ends up exploding out of a prison and ends up at a prayer meeting and they close the door because they don't believe that he's come to the door. Wow. And of course Stephen, as he preached the truth and that great message. My friends, let me encourage you that the most important place you and I must be is abiding in the vine and being close to Jesus. And when it gets tough and when it gets hard, which is next week's sermon, at the end, what, who does he promise will come? The Holy Spirit to get you through the toughest times. And that same night in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, and that same night when he taught these sacred passages, and he would walk to the Valley of Kidron and be in the place of Gethsemane, when after expounding these words, 
he would go. He was sat with those same disciples who he said, they'll hate you like they hate me. And he took bread and he broke it. And by breaking it, he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be broken for humanity. I'm going to die. And Father, we thank you for the bread that was broken that night of this teaching. And that we are only members of the vine because you gave your life for us. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. I will take the cup, I will take the pain, I will take the punishment, I will take your place, my blood will be shed, and you, my dear friends, will be forgiven. So Father, we pause at this moment to search our hearts. We confess our sins. We examine ourselves as Scripture teaches us. If there is any offence, any anger, any bitterness, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our iniquities. So as Christians do that, but you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I've become more of a friend of the world than I'm a friend of Jesus. And I want to get right with God this morning. Then right now, pray. You know right now that you're not a Christian, perhaps. Then become a Christian and take communion this morning. The prayer is this, as a beginning. Dear Lord Jesus, I realise that I've lived my life without you, and I'm sorry. I realise that I've wandered from you, and I'm sorry. And as you gave your life for me upon the cross, I give my life to you. And I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me. I invite you into my life as my Lord and my Saviour. Just as we pause, if you've got right with God this morning for a moment, nobody's looking around, I'd like to say a little prayer for you. Just raise your hand and put it down. We won't embarrass you. Be saying, Phil, pray for me. This morning, I got right with God. Anybody? God bless. I got right with God. Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord, and be with us. Come, Lord, and minister to us. 
Come and heal us and bring us close in this holy time of communion, we ask. The vine, the grapes, the intimacy, the closeness.